You know, my, my wife, you know, she went to, uh, to business school. Um, she went to an MBA program. And one of the stories she told me early on, uh, she loved this entrepreneurial class that she was in. And the professor had a motto and it was fail fast. And I, I have, uh, I have ad adapted that as a mantra more and more because as an entrepreneur, you fail all the time. And um, so I like to call it testing. Welcome to the Building to Scale podcast, where we bring real entrepreneur stories that showcase the challenges and successes in building and scaling an entrepreneurial business. Our host, Jeff Chastain, is a business transformation coach with Admentis, where he coaches business leaders and their teams with a proven set of principles and tools, helping them gain clarity in and get more of what they want from their business. Make sure to stick around until the end of the show, and we will reveal how you can become our next guest. Hello, everybody. Jeff Chastain here again with the Building to Scale podcast, where I get the opportunity really to speak with entrepreneurial business leaders, thought leaders, influencers here, really hearing their stories of both challenges and successes as they've grown and scaled their businesses to where it is today. So today's guest with me here is Tom Howell with Fancy Awesome and... I'll start off, Tom, by by saying welcome to the show, and Thank thanks you. for for having on there. So, fancy, awesome. There's there's got to be a bit of a, a story here behind that that name and what's going on there. So, tell us a little bit about company and, and your role going on today. Yeah, I actually, uh, it's funny. So, I'm the CEO. Uh, I fancy awesome um, came from uh, a, a previous partnership that I had actually. So my uh, when we started the, or when I started the business out like nine years ago, um, it was called Bizwiggle, as <laughs> an equally silly name. Okay. But yeah, we found I found that that you can put any word and follow it with wiggle, and you can buy the URL. So I thought, well, it could be Bizwiggle yeah. or some other thing. Anyway, so um, I partnered with some guys maybe five six years ago where uh, they owned a software development shop. We, and I had the ad agency. We thought that it made sense to kind of link up. Um, and and what, we, uh, what ultimately ended up happening um, is I ended up buying out the, uh, the software development business. And uh, so now I, you know, I'm the, the full owner of it again. Um, and part of that transition, I got the fancy awesome name and the brand. So I can't take credit for the name is, is the, the point of all the story. So my, my previous partner, uh, a, a guy named Spence Wetchen, really bright guy, um, he came up with uh, the name in his software company um, but because th there, was, uh, there was one developer that would kind of sit on a bouncy ball and kind of bounce on the bouncy ball all day long while he was programming. And he was, you know, uh, he'd have his vape pen and he was kind of like a stoner kid. Yeah. You know? And anytime anything would happen, he would turn and he'd go, whoa, that's fancy. Awesome, dude. And so after hearing this four or five times, um, Spence went to the, you know, went to Google and typed it in or into GoDaddy and typed it in and saw that it was available. And so he bought it and then they, they rebranded shortly after that because it's such a strong name. So <laughs> Nice. Yeah it's, yeah. it's always interesting stories where those kind of pop out that, yeah, just random stuff. It's like, OK, we'll try it. It works. Right. So tell us a little bit more about the, the company right now and your role in the company. So um, as I mentioned, I'm the CEO of it. Uh, we have uh, about 10 W-2 employees, full-time employees. And then we have another 10 essentially full-time contractors. 
So we're, we're about 20, uh, 20 staff total. Um, we are, uh, uh, we started off primarily as a digital advertising agency. Um, we're very early to the, the idea that online marketing um, is a, as much a data game as it is a, you know, a traditional marketing game. And so um, what we found is when we started taking over people's accounts initially uh, was there was all this opportunity to optimize ad accounts if you had a statistical or mathematics background. Um, <clears throat> and so, uh, and it was, it was really interesting because we, we started taking over more and more accounts and kept seeing that there were these issues with the way people would structure them. And, and if you just looked at it more with a, a scientific approach, you could get a lot more oomph out of the accounts, right? So, so uh, that's how the business started out. Um, we started out exclusively as a Google advertising agency. Uh, we just did Google PPC. Um, since then, it's, it's evolved quite a bit. Uh, we started off focusing on the lead generation vertical, working with a lot of small businesses, a lot of doctor's offices, dental offices, um, uh, rental places, like those kind of, you know, yeah. uh, wedding, wedding type businesses, those, those kind of small businesses, lawyers. And, um, <clears throat> and we, we kind of grew from there. Uh, and about six years ago, we started seeing that that the value we could provide to e-commerce companies was even more significant than what we could provide to the average business. And also um, our strategies and methods really seem to be able to help e-commerce companies grow um, a lot faster. It's just a different type of business. You're, you know, you're, you're doing this kind of um, the work you do today, uh, uh, has benefit, you know, further down, especially if you're dealing with consumable products. And so the, um, yeah, the e-commerce the e businesses just lend more to scaling than, yeah. than traditional businesses. So, so we thought that was a good niche and I um, made the decision to switch more, more exclusively to e-commerce um, about at around that time, we were looking very heavily into Amazon Um we had launched a side business, which was an Amazon third-party seller. So we were one of those one of those stores on Amazon that that resells products for for companies. Um, we we grew that extremely fast. We spent we spent six months before we sold anything. We spent six months developing software and tools and figuring out the Amazon system and the APIs, um, and then also wrote some algorithms to identify products that had a good margin baked into them. And uh, we were able to, to launch this extremely fast growing Amazon selling business. Um, the, the interesting thing about that is around that time, Amazon, if anybody's familiar with Amazon, will probably remember brand gating. So yeah. if you're a reseller on Amazon, Amazon um, changed the rules quite a bit and made it so companies could block you from selling their products on the platform. So brand A could say, hey, I no longer want you selling on on the platform. So what happened was, is we got stuck with, you know, half a million dollars worth of inventory. Uh, we ended up, you know, being able to sell it through other channels, but ultimately we, lo we looked at that and we said, well, there's still opportunity here. And as you can tell, there's tons of third-party sellers, but for us, you know, we had already been successful at building an agency and building a service business. So we thought, why don't we take all this that we learned 
um, and all this experience that we have and all the software that we wrote. And why don't we turn this into a managed service offering? So that led to us launching um, an Amazon practice. And uh, the business has, has added that as well as adding additional ancillary services, uh, uh, Facebook ad management, Bing ad management, email marketing, um, uh, uh, web development, landing page development. You know, we're, we're very, very heavily invested into the Shopify platform as an agency. And that's where a lot of our growth is coming from, from those, from those other services, a SEO as well too. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that's kind of, that's, that's who we are. It's long winded there, but. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Yeah. So take us back a little bit historical wise into your background. Were you the, the consummate programmer at, at early ages or, or what, 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 how did you get into entrepreneurial side to, to start running a business? Yeah, it's interesting. So I, I wasn't the consummate programmer then, and I, I still am not. Um, I started off really early on with this entrepreneurial bug. My, my father was a small business owner. You know, we had a little uh, landscaping business growing up. And I, I, just, I, I got a computer and, and a printer and a scanner, and I started making menus and business cards for restaurants and little businesses in my town growing up. Um, and then I went to college and kind of that all went to the wayside. And, uh, um, but I always had this like drive that where I, I knew I wanted to start a business. I just didn't know how or what. Um, and I got out of college and I actually, you know, I, I spent a good deal of time bartending. I worked at, worked at a casino outside of Chicago. Um, uh, you know, worked my way up to from bartending into dealing blackjack and then only dealt for a very very short amount of time and then ended up um getting an opportunity working for a pr agency through a personal contact uh in miami and i decided that well i i had a i had a college degree i had a literature degree that was not being used i was a good writer and and so I, I had this, this in college, I had this idea that I was going to go to law school. So I was like, well, I should do liberal arts. And um, yeah, I don't know why, considering I was really interested in business, but that's kind of how it happened. Yeah. Um, and that took me to, took me to Florida where I, I uh, worked for a small PR agency and then, um, you know, was, was bounced around, went to another PR agency and then worked in house for a book, uh, a large book publisher doing their uh, PR internally. And, and at that point, um, I really was like, well, I, I don't really like PR. Um, I think I like marketing. I think there's some other interesting things out there. And, and uh, the, the company I was working for had, had a very large Google advertising spend. And so I got to sit in on those meetings with the agency that was managing. And I thought, well, I, I think I could do this. And that's, that's where it grew out of. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So um, looking at obviously some of the, the, the things you were talking about, about the changes in the Amazon store and the changes in your business. Why, um, why do you think business owners typically tend to struggle with those kind of pivot changes or with, obviously right now we're dealing in the midst of a, a pandemic, turn this recording. So there's been lots of business changes, but when you're seeing that, obviously like you were talking about having the, the retail kind of storefront through Amazon and have them change the rules on you, What's the, what's the thought process that goes through your mind right there as, as a business leader to say, okay, what do we do now? So something outside of my control basically has impacted us. What, what do we do now from a business standpoint? 
Well, the, the first day you panic and you say the sky is falling. Um, but but once you, you get your grounding, you have two decisions to make. You can either you know double down and keep going, um, or you can you can look at it objectively or or go and and one of the things you know I do a lot is ask other people that I respect, you know, hey, this is the problem. I and what should we do? <clears throat> and a lot of people, you know pointed me in the direction that said, well, if, it, if, if, if you're exposed to this much risk and, and Amazon or any, any business that you're associated to or build your business around can make such drastic changes and affect your business so much, maybe that's not the business you wanna be in. So we, we, we took a, a hard look at it and we said, look, we've, we've developed a lot of software. We have a lot invested in this. We've spent a lot of time learning about this. There's got to be something here. And so that's what, what led to the pivot um, in that specific circumstance. Um, you know, my, my wife, you know, she went to, uh, to business school. Um, she went to an MBA program. And one of the stories she told me early on, uh, she loved this entrepreneurial class that she was in. And the professor had a motto and it was fail fast. And I, I have, uh, I have ad adapted that as a mantra more and more because as an entrepreneur, you fail all the time. And um, so I like to call it testing now. <laughs> <laughs> Here you go. Put a positive light on it. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, the beauty of being, a business like we are, where we're like a little agency, we have a lot of very, very talented people. I have, you know, world-class programmers, incredibly talented designers and UX people. Um, we can launch little online businesses very quickly. We can set up the website, we can set up the advertising, we know how to do the messaging. We can do all of these pieces very fast. And, and same thing on the software development side. We have very talented developers here, so we can we can start and try to build little MVPs of software, whether that's within a platform like Amazon or just a standalone SASE type product. Um, and so what, what we try to do is we, we now our philosophy is to like, let's build something, let's give it a little bit of test and see if there's something there. And if there's something there, it might make more sense to, to dig in, right? Yeah, I love that because a lot of times in working with businesses, I'll be asked, hey, do you, do you work with or do you coach startup agencies? And typically I'll steer away from that simply because I look at the fact of, okay, startup agency doesn't need to spend a lot of money building a infrastructure, building out operations, all that kind of stuff before they've proved that do we actually have a product? Does it have legs? Do we have this idea that we've got is somebody else willing to pay for that. So I love the, right. the idea with that, especially in those early startup days of saying, okay, fail fast, try it, try, prove out just a, a little bit first kind of a thing. But even still, I think that applies like you're saying, even in a established business that, hey, we're gonna go try a new product. We're gonna go try a new market. Don't necessarily invest a huge amount until you go prove that, okay, there's, there's some validity here. There's some legs here before we go invest a huge amount into that. Right. I have a, a little little anecdote that's kind of interesting. Okay. Um, so I'm really active in in uh, being from Austin. I'm I'm really active in the the Austin business community and and Austin. I've never seen anything like it, but Austin. Even if you're not in Austin, you should go and try to find like Austin Digital Jobs and and Austin freelance groups. These Facebook groups that those are the names of the groups, and they are uh, and Austin startups. These they are some of the most incredible 
networking groups out there. And so everybody's willing to mentor other people and to answer questions and everything. So, so any of your people that are looking to, to do any sort of startup, that's a, those are great resources. Um, but in those groups, you know, I, I get hit up occasionally, or I volunteer when somebody asks about, you know, how to get from zero to one or how to get a business started, or what are the things I should, you know, worry about. And so I called with a gentleman about a month ago who was starting, you know, a business and he was pre-revenue, which is, you know, a really nice way <laughs> yeah. of saying they don't have investment. And, you know, he was in, uh, he was in a, a fairly commoditized space um, and, and he had assembled what seemed to be a really strong team of people. So, so his, his, this guy was very much like a Pied Piper kind of guy. Like he, he, he got everybody excited and then he, he made two mistakes that, or at least things that I thought were mistakes. The, the, the first mistake was, is he promised very large chunks of equity to everybody and essentially right away put him in a position where he was a minority owner. So yeah. as, as the general, you know, if this, if your business is an army and if you're the general or the leader, right, you need to be able to make decisions um, and you need to have the ownership to back, back that up. And then also, you know, if you do take capital, you don't want to put yourself, you especially don't want to be a minority owner before you take capital. But if you take capital, you want to hopefully take take capital and then still be a majority owner so that you can run your business unilaterally um, and, and you know, the structure your, your cap table where hopefully you're not a minority until that second or third round if you grow. But, but what was really interesting, so, so that was one of the mistakes. And then the other mistake was, uh, and this is the, the funnier part of it is, you know, he was telling me about all these positions he had. And he starts talking about his CFO and his CFO and this and that, and that person's getting 10% equity and yada, yada, yada. And I said, you don't have any money. You don't have any clients. Do you need a CFO? <laughs> Why do you need a CFO, <laughs> right? And uh, this was like, it, like the light bulb went off in his head and he's like, oh yeah, well, okay, maybe. I said, you're, you know, you're, you know, we're, we have seven figure revenue. I, I don't have a dedicated CFO. I mean, that's a, to hire a guy internally for that or a woman is, is $250,000 or whatever. Like you can, you can get it from a fractional perspective or, you know, businesses of our size, they use bookkeepers and accountants. Yeah. So. yeah that's, that's interesting. Cause that's, I do see that a lot or even in my own, I've experienced in the past kind of a thing. I'm a big process, big operationals person. So you want to go build out this operational system to be able to handle the, the thousand clients we're going to get, even though you don't have the first one yet, or you've only got five. It's like, okay, you don't need, well, I was talking with actually at a, another, another interview. It's like, you almost need to build the entire system up together incrementally to say, okay, yes, we've got plans for a longer term operations. We've got plans for longer term finance, whatever. We don't necessarily need to implement them all right now. We can build them up as sales come up, as marketing come up and build this almost like a, a level playing field across all the different areas of the company rather than, because at the same time, you ramp up all your sales and, and marketing and all of a sudden have this influx of clients and you don't have any way to fulfill it. You got right. issues there as well. So it's it's trying to do that balance and that's that's a struggle, but I think I'm where your, your expertise is because we all like pouring into to our lane, our area of expertise right there. And hopefully the other areas of the company will come along, right? Right. Yeah, we, we uh, to that point, um, 
we uh, uh, have have typically in the past over-engineered our operation side, and almost always we don't need it to that level. And and in a lot of circumstances, we've way overbuilt things that we never use. And so we're doing. I've actually over the last two years kind of switched to the philosophy you're describing, which I think is a really good way of looking at it. And that is that it's kind of like it's almost like this balance. Um, you need in business, you're never going to have a level of, of you're never going to have an equilibrium. So like you got sales and operations and sales, you know, is they're going to put a whole lot of people into your or a whole lot of, 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 of you know, new opportunities, hopefully into your business. And now operations has to like work really hard to catch up to be able to handle what sales does. And sales is kind of like, you know, sitting there being like, all right, I'm ready to sell more. And operations is saying, whoa, I can't handle this. And so yeah. <laughs> it's never, you know, a level playing field. Yeah. No, it's, it's got, I equate it to like the, the, the old metal or even now plastic slinkies kind of a thing where it kind of expands and compresses. But the idea or the ideal world, at least, is that you can minimize those, those huge fluctuations there. But yeah, that's very true on saying, okay, it's never going to be perfect because there's always going to be sales and marketing rarely are predictable kind of a thing. They'll, they'll be influxes, there'll be, there'll be spikes and stuff like that. But yeah, right. if you get it too far out of whack, then you cause problems either. Because I've, I've seen that in clients both sides that, okay, we grew too fast. We took on way too many clients and couldn't handle it. Or conversely, we invested, like you said, and I, I see it a lot actually in the tech side because we want to build out all this massive infrastructure, servers and software and all this stuff. It's like, do you really have the need? Do the customers really, are they asking for those features yet? Or did you just think that feature was cool to implement? <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden you've lit a hundred grand on fire and you don't have anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Been there, done that before. So right. obviously, like I said before, we're, we're talking about uh, or doing this during the pandemic. Everybody's kind of shut down, working from home, all that kind of fun stuff. You mentioned that the company's based out of Austin, but you've got employees and team members really worldwide. I think you said you even had a, a group over in uh, European area as well. Right. Yeah, we um, uh, so we have we have our, our, our main offices in Austin. We have a small office in Charlotte and then we have um, our our PPC um, team lead is in uh, Manchester in the UK. Uh, he's a Hungarian gentleman. And then we have our four, um, four or five uh, uh, AdWords engineers and Facebook engineers based in, um, uh, in Hungary, in Budapest. Okay. So yeah, several and then, Yeah. And then we have our, our, our lead software developers based in, um, in Arizona. And we have a small team of software developers uh, there as well. Uh, and then we have, you know, two developers in, in Austin. So yeah, everything is kind of all over the place. So um, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so we're obviously seeing a lot more of that these days with, with companies being ge uh, geographically dispersed. So what are, well, I guess two questions, let me leave this up. So is that the way necessarily that you started out or did you start out with core in Austin and then we grew out to that point or how did the, how the diversity there from a geographic standpoint originate? Yeah, we started in Austin, you know, as a core and um, Austin's a great talent pool. Um, you know, there's a major university there and, you know, it, it's Austin. So, yeah. um, so there's great people there, but, you know, even though it's such a great pool, we didn't necessarily always find what we were looking for. 
you know, and there's a lot of factors with hiring. There's, you know, you want to get somebody that's an expert. You want to get people that, um, that the, the, the cost of fulfillment using them is within your business model. And so, so there's, there's considerable factors. What, one of the things that we, um, why we looked to Europe uh, as, as, a, uh, as a place to build a team was um, the, the technical expertise is really strong. So in countries uh, like Hungary, uh, with our experience, in our experience, we found that there were that, that math and science are um, are more core to the average person there than maybe they are in the U.S. And so, and as a you know, philosophically, as an agency, you know, structuring under the idea that that we're more engineering focused than marketing focused, we really needed to seek out those people. And 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 what's interesting is is you know, like anybody else, I've done the the outsourcing where you try to you go and you try the cheapest possible, right? And you, and the cheapest possible is usually cheap for a reason, and uh, the results are just not there. Um, especially as you grow and you try to build a reputation, you can't necessarily rely on those. So we found that you know our staff in Europe, it's probably only twenty percent cheaper, maybe thirty percent cheaper than a comparable position in the US. Um, but the we find the work ethic is equal or stronger and, and we find the technical capability is there. And so it's been a really great, um, great experience for us and, the, and the, the, the quality of people is just remarkable. Yeah, that makes sense. So what do you find uh, from a challenge perspective or a leadership perspective in dealing with the geographically dispersed, but especially even at that point, you're looking at culturally dispersed as well, or obviously right. time zones, languages, things like that. What's What are some of the challenges or how have you addressed some of that from a leadership perspective, dealing with all those different people in different areas? It's It, it can be difficult and it can cause some really early mornings and some really late nights. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, people are always asking me like, what are you doing up at 3 a.m. responding to an email? And it's like, well, you know, it, it's a lot easier for me if I can get people when they're either before their day starts or as their day starting to like get them ready so that when when we all wake up here in the United States, we've got a whole bunch of work done, right? Yeah. And so the time zone thing is, is the biggest challenge, but it also, you know, as I mentioned, there's some really strong benefits from there. If you're working with somebody that's considerably ahead of you, um, you can get them prepped and then you wake up and there's all this stuff done. Um, you know, one of the biggest challenges is, is I, you know, as an agency, agencies are always guarding their clients and it's an important thing to do because you, you let a wolf into the hen house and, you know, you never know what can happen. And so, you know, they're guarding their clients They're you know, they're protective internally of, of staff, certain staff members talking to clients. They don't want, they don't want, you know, they're always worried about, you could lose a client or you could lose staff. Right. Yeah. And so I, I have found personally that, you know, if you make somebody's, you know, uh, job or, or uh, their part of the company meaningful enough that hopefully you don't, it, you don't have to worry as much, right? So I, I try to, 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 to nurture all of our people in a position where they can potentially be client facing so that the client gets value from them. Like I'm not an engineer and, and a lot of times, 
you know, an engineer's way of communicating information, it can be a little bit lost, right, to a client. But at the same time, there's tremendous value in what they're saying. So it's important to be able to get those people talking to people. And so, so at, from a time zone perspective, that's hard because, you know, I actually have this situation going on right now. I have a client in LA and I have, you know, the, our expert, our, our, our lead Facebook expert, um, a, a guy by the name of Mickey, who's a phenomenal guy. He is in, um, in Hungary. And so, I mean, it's literally a nine hour difference. So it's yeah. like, it's gotta be her morning and it's gotta be his night. Right. And so, so that's the biggest challenge there culturally, you know, there's a little bit of a challenge culturally. There's a little bit of a challenge more on the language side. You know, a lot of, um, fortunately English is, is taught, you know, very heavily over there, but it's, it's generally not their first language. And with that comes issues. Um, and, and so, but I mean, I feel like the, the benefits outweigh those, those problems. Um, I know a lot of people that have had tremendous luck working with uh, people in South America, specifically in uh, Costa Rica and Colombia um, on the engineering and software development side. Uh, the, the, the beauty about working there is the time zones are the same. Yeah. Um, so if you need client facing people or you need people that are working on projects together with U.S. people, that's a great place to look for it. Um, you know, really on the other side of the world, the, the time zone thing becomes so, so crushing that you just can't, you, you, if you need anybody that's client facing it, it makes it very difficult for that regard. Um, yeah, I hope that answers your Yeah, it does. And it, the time zone is definitely an issue kind of thing. I've actually had uh, been on podcasts and done, had guests that are over in Thailand and stuff like that. Philippines is like, okay, this is you're recording here at 3 a.m. in the morning. Are you, are you really cognizant for this kind of recording here and there? But um, now I'm curious as to, from even even saying here, like you said, that with the, the Austin base, the, the Carolina base, and the, the Arizona base, from a, a team perspective, how do you how do you unite those those people together when it's they can't go to the water cooler, they can't peek over the cube wall kind of a thing and, and talk to each other? You're you're your technology base. So I'm assuming there's somewhat probably some technology tools and some stuff leveraged there, but what do you do from a, a culture standpoint, just trying to build that team together rather than just having a bunch of disparate contractors just operating out in their own silos. Right. Well, what, what we try to do is, you know, obviously, I mean, we use Google meet for the most part, but meet or zoom <clears throat> or these tools are crucial for us to all get together. We, we have regular meetings, um, uh, I have a, a morning meeting on the, with the advertising team. I have a three days a week. We have a meeting with the, the web development and web design team. Um, we have meetings with the, uh, the, the Amazon team, uh, two to three times a week. So, so those kind of group meetings are, are important. Um, the other pieces is I, I really encourage our staff to talk to each other. Um, you know, if, if you're working on the same project, get on Zoom and, and work together, right? If you have questions, you know, especially younger people are really, really opposed to, um, they, they don't talk on the phone much. I mean, Zoom has made it so they talk sort of on the phone, but like they don't pick up the phone and talk to people. Oh. And so I'm always telling people, you know, we're communicating on Slack or we're, you know, texting or emailing or whatever. And I'm sitting there watching staff spend 30 minutes trying to stuff everything in this long email that somebody on the other side has zero desire to read. 
Yep. And they've got a piece through it. And I'm like, you know, if you had just picked the phone up in two minutes, you could have gotten through all of that instead of wasting this time. So, so I encourage people to talk and by nature, they all kind of, all the staff kind of has become very, you know, they all really like each other. They're all very friendly. We almost have the same kind of environment that you would, you would desire to have in person um, remotely. It's not, it's not perfect, but everybody seems to really enjoy working with each other and, and they get along really well. So. Yeah. And I think it, it goes a lot in the personality, but still, yeah, I, I do see a lot of what you're talking about. Hey, why aren't you doing the long email messages or even still a lot of the instant message chat kind of stuff like that. It's like, you can get a lot more. And I, I suspect really with the potential language differences, you can get a lot more in just a voice conversation, just talk to somebody because it's easily misunderstood without even a, a language difference there. But once you add the language difference in, you probably compound it quite a bit. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So looking more forward with your business, with uh, things going on right now, what does is, what is next year look like? Or what's, what's your goal is even longer term in the future, five, 10 kind of years with the company here? Well, it's, it's, it's a good question. So, you know, uh, related to the name of your podcast, you know, we are, um, we're always looking to scale. And, and so we've, we have picked, I mean, we as a, as a business, you know, Fancy Awesome has picked a, you know, a service related business as our, as our core function. We're, we're, we're really good at it. And, um, and we have very, very happy clients and we love it. We love our clients and we love the work that we do. The, the problem with a service business, though, is they're notoriously difficult to scale. And they are, you know, because you are you fundamentally, a lot of the work that you're doing is based on an individual's expertise, as opposed to like a SaaS product or, you know, something along those sides, you're, you're building one thing, one module, one, one tool, and then you're blasting it out in the world and then you're doing the marketing work to you know to get users to it that hopefully need little to no handholding yeah right and little to no client agency involvement right and and if you can get to that position that's very desirable because number one the margins are a lot higher and and number two you know that's a situation where you can have 10,000 users in, in, in an agency like we have, I'm sure there are agencies out there that have 10,000 clients, but we're not one of them. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult to scale this type of business. So our long-term strategies, um, I, I, you know, I've told you about, we started the Amazon business. We've, we've you know, myself and a, a partner have started, you know, we had a, a software company where we did some, a SaaS type product five, six years ago. One of the things I'm really working working on is focus, right? So, what are we really good at? What's what's the core? What's driving most of our business and what's driving most of our profitability? And how can we focus on that? Number one, and then number two, you know, with all this entrepreneurial energy that I have, um, where I'm constantly being pulled away from focus, if I am going to do things that are um, tests or you know, exploring new opportunities, make sure that they are. Core, that they are related to the core, right? Make sure that yep. they make sense um, to the overall business. So in 2021, we're focusing on more customer acquisition um, in the e-commerce space. We're looking at uh, more Shopify development work 
Um, we're looking at more uh, more clients that can use our, our Amazon management tools and, and service. And then we are uh, putting a very, very strong foot forward in the uh, Shopify app development world. So um, the reason I love that area is because it's, it's very much like SaaS. You know, yep. it's your, you're selling an app. You have the ability to get thousands or tens of thousands of users. Shopify's built a, a, a really incredible uh, developer community. We have built a, a tons of Shopify stores. We are extremely familiar with, with Shopify's architecture um, and with the APIs and, and, and all of these capabilities within their system. Uh, and then our, our, our development arm of our business is not just web developers. I mean, we have some, some, some real software developers that can write real stuff. And so not that web development isn't real stuff, but, you know, I'm saying they're not just building Shopify stores. These are people that can build really exciting stuff. So we're taking some of those resources and uh, we already have a, a Shopify app that we are about halfway through development. We expect to be launching it in, in March um, in the uh, 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 reoccurring payment space. And you know, we, we hope to launch that out there. We have a lot of clients that are asking for help in that space. So we already have a baked in pool of users. I mean, it's not a huge pool of users, but it's people that can, you know, as we launch an MVP, they can start using it. They can give us feedback. We can tailor the product around their specific needs. And then also us as developers within the Shopify platform, we understand what, we, what people want as a, at, from a development perspective and from a UX perspective. So I, I think that we're, we're very well positioned to launch that, that piece of the business. And then as we get the name fancy out, awesome out there related to apps, you know, and they, they, they go to our website and we're, we're working on a new website right now. Our website's very Amazon focused. We're going to go back to, you know, marketing the whole company, uh, all of our services, just not Amazon, but hopefully they'll go, they'll see the fancy, awesome apps. They'll see that. They'll say, wow, we're also, we offer development services on an hourly basis. We, we offer design services. We can build the whole site for you from scratch. We can solve any problem. And then we have incredible advertising services and, and really great, you know, SEO and email marketing services. And so essentially we have enough, we have this spider web and we have enough, enough webs out there where we can capture um, clients from, from different places. And then it all feeds into the core and, and where we make, you know, I mean, advertising and web, web uh, development and web maintenance are, are the two areas of the business where, where you know, um, that's probably our, our, our core in terms of uh, yeah. size and profitability. No, it makes sense. And yeah, that having that kind of repeatable revenue stream like you're talking about, because it's if you're doing just individual one-off project work, then yeah, that can be hard to scale. But yeah, if you've got the, the app side, especially like you were saying earlier, software as a service kind of stuff that you can build once and sell multiple times. That's, that's where you'll, you'll be able to get to it for sure. Yeah. So always like, yeah, always like coming back on kind of wrap up to say, based upon where you are today, what's your kind of best tip, best strategy to say, Hey, if I just knew this five years ago, 10 years ago, at least at the very least, the journey might've been a little bit easier, a little bit smoother. What, what, what comes to mind there? Uh, well, some of it's things that, that we've chatted about a little bit, but, um, one of the things is, is, you know, when you're a founder of a business, 
um, you need to be very, very cautious of how you uh, give out equity um, and then also how you vet uh, potential investors. Um, just about everything that we have done, um, we've done, we've taken a little bit of investment for some projects. Uh, we've always returned, you know, really great uh, uh, returns to our investors uh, for these little projects that we did. But for the most part, I've, I've never built a business using cap outside capital. Yep. And so, but when you do use outside capital, there's a lot of, I, I've seen it from too many people that we've worked with, um, the pitfalls that can come from that. So, you know, as a, as a, as a founder, as an entrepreneur, you, you have to really have your guard up and you really have to understand and be able to see the future and say, if I make this decision now, how is it going to affect me? And our, our, you know, I mean, equity is probably the thing that, you know, I'm, I used to talk loosely about it and say, oh, well, if you do this, we can get you this and you could be a big owner and blah, 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 blah. And, and those things don't do anybody any good because they, 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 you know, if you're using that to incentivize somebody, you, you might not be big enough or have enough revenue in order to incentivize them in other ways, right? And really, um, you know, as an entrepreneur, you want entrepreneurs on your cap table. It's if it, people that that want to be employees are are employees, and that that's what they do. They want to they they want to. They're very good at what they do, and that's what they you know they have other interests in their life maybe, and so so you know finding partners that have a similar look on the world that you do, being very cautious of how you give out equity, and then um, you know just not over promising in, in any regard. <laughs> well, it's, it's easy to dream. And, and I know, especially from the equity side, it's easy to look at and say, Hey, free money or upfront money kind of a stuff. But yeah, to your point, it's, it's really, I, I know it can work, but there are a lot of horror stories out there as to how it didn't work because to your point, not enough pre-planning, not enough forethought as to, okay, what is this going to mean down the road? What's this going to mean in the future? So yeah, I get that for sure. The, the, the other thing that I think is really important when you start a small business is when you start any business is there's always really expensive options to do everything out there, right? Um, and there's always really cheap ways of doing things. And it's, it's, a, it's a delicate balance. You know, if you personally need services for you to help start the business, you need to develop software, you need to do whatever, like you need to find people that are, that, that are, are good good counselors, right, that, that can steer you in a good direction. And you need to take whatever resources you have and look at them. Um, I mean, that is the lifeblood of the business. And it's really easy to overspend and, and you know, overcommit and not really, it, it lends to planning. Yeah. You know, you got to look at what resources you do have and you got to make sure that, that they're going to work for you for a long time because, you know, nothing is certain in business. There is that for sure. Yeah. So, all right. Well, unfortunately we're running low on time, but um, if they want to listener base wants to learn more about you or learn more about the company, where can they find you online these days? Uh, you can go to fancyawesome.com. Um, and uh, there's a form on there. Or there's a phone number, you know, feel free to drop us a line. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Thomas Howell um, or on Facebook. So yeah, by all right. means, please reach out. Yep, we'll definitely get all the links in the in the show notes here for it. So appreciate your time with us and for taking a bit out of your day there. All right, thanks, Jeff. Have a great right. afternoon.
Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Building to Scale podcast. If you would like to share your entrepreneurial business growth story, please visit buildingtoscale.com slash guest. If you got something out of this interview, would you do both us and our guest a favor and share it on your social media accounts? Don't forget to hit subscribe in your player so that you don't miss any future episodes and make sure to reach out to Jeff Chastain on any of the major social media networks or check us out at admentis.com.